church history during Joseph Smith's lifetime, including Zion's Camp. Um, one of the volumes that I helped edit for the Joseph Smith Papers were the documents pertaining to Zion's Camp. And so uh, when I was asked what I could talk about in terms of Wilford Woodruff, my thoughts immediately went to his time spent on the Zion's Camp expedition, because this was a really formative period of his lifetime. Um, Wilford participated in Zion's camp. He hadn't even been baptized for two months before he was recruited to go on Zion's camp. And he was 26 years old at the time, new in the church, and this experience really had a great impact on him. And so I'm going to be talking today a little bit about some of the lessons that he learned on Zion's camp and that we can learn through him um, because of his experiences that he had. So I wanna just start off by giving a brief overview of the Zions Camp Expedition um, for those who aren't as familiar with it. So Zions Camp, or as it was known at the time, uh, the Camp of Israel, had its genesis in the Saints' expulsion from Missouri in the fall of 1833. Now if you remember, Joseph Smith had been commanded in July of 1831 in what is now section 57 in the Doctrine and Covenants to establish the city of Zion in Jackson County and that independence would be the center place for the city of Zion. And so the saints spent the next two years uh, trying to fulfill that commandment. There were about 1,200 Latter-day Saints who moved to Missouri, uh, moved to Jackson County to try to establish the city of Zion there. And they tried faithfully to uh, build the city up. But trouble broke out in the summer of 1833. Uh, there were mobs that were upset at an editorial that William W. Phelps had published in the church's newspaper, The Evening and the Morning Star. And so because of their anger, they attacked 
uh, Phelps's printing shop, which also doubled as his house. They drove William and his wife and children from the house. They tore down the walls. They threw the printing press out the window. Um, they also took Edward Partridge, who was the bishop in Missouri at the time, uh, to the town square where they tarred and feathered him. And the violence at that time only stopped because several church leaders agreed that half of the church would evacuate Jackson County by the end of 1833, and the other half would leave by April of 1834. So with that agreement in place, uh, the mobs dispersed in the summer. However, church leaders started to talk, and they thought about some things, and they thought, you know, we have legally purchased this land that we are living on in Jackson County. There's no reason why we should have to leave this land. And so they started to pursue some avenues whereby they could stay on the land in Jackson County. And when this happened, and when the uh, other people of Jackson County caught wind of this, then violence erupted anew the last week of October in 1833 and extending into the first week of November. And the saints were ultimately kicked out of Jackson County. Uh, most of them crossed the Missouri River into neighboring Clay County. And while they were there in Clay County, they suffered greatly. You know, they'd lost their homes, they'd lost their property, they didn't have a lot of money. And so they sent two uh, individuals, Parley P. Pratt and Lyman White, to travel to Kirtland, Ohio, where Joseph Smith was, and to counsel with Joseph and the Kirtland High Council there about what they should do. So in February of 1834, they get to Kirtland, and Parley and Lyman meet with the High Council, and they describe the destitution of the saints. And as Joseph Smith is listening to this, it becomes almost too much for him to bear. And he suddenly leaps on his feet, and he says, I am going to Zion to help the saints there. Who is coming with me? And there were a few people in the uh, uh, council who volunteered to go with Joseph Smith at that time. Now that same day of this high council meeting, Joseph received a revelation, which is now section 103 in the Doctrine and Covenants. And this revelation told him that in the parable of the nobleman, whose land had been overrun by his enemies, and who had instructed his servant to call up the strength of his house to redeem his land, that Joseph Smith was that servant. And that he needed to go and recruit people to march to Missouri and to help the saints there, to try to help them get their land back. Well, this revelation, section 103, also assigned several other individuals to help Joseph Smith recruit people and recruit money for the expedition. And so several men went out um, in the spring of 1833. They traveled mostly to the eastern United States to try to get individuals to come and participate in this expedition. Uh, there were two contingents of the Zions Camp Expedition. One left from Kirtland, Ohio in May of 1834. That was the one that Joseph Smith was with and that Wilford Woodruff was with as well. And there was about 120 men, women, and children in that contingent. There was another contingent that was recruited by Hiram Smith and Lyman White in Michigan Territory. And there were about 20 individuals in that contingent. Uh, they marched down uh, south the Kirtland contingent marched west, and they finally joined up together in Missouri in June of 1834. And when they combined their forces, there's about 230 men, women, and children in Zion's camp. 
at that time. Oh, I'm getting behind on my slides, I apologize for that. So This always happens to me, I always get behind. Um, so as the camp members marched, as they participated in this journey, it was a rather strenuous journey. Some participants remembered that they marched as many as 30 to 40 miles per day, which is a lot of walking. Um, and some people talked about how the boots that they wore on this journey, they hadn't sufficiently been broken in, so they caused blisters, and the blisters on their feet popped, and the blood in their boots squelched as they walked along on the journey. So that's not very fun either. Uh, there were moments with the camp of Israel where the participants didn't have enough food. Most of the time they had at least sufficient to eat, although they weren't eating very well. But there were times when they were crossing uh, prairies where they didn't have very much to eat, they didn't have very much to drink, and they suffered because of that. When they got to uh, a few miles outside of Clay County, they made camp on a river called Fishing River. And while they were on that river, there was a delegation of men who came into the camp about uh, Kind of depends on whose account you read, but there were maybe five to ten men that came in. And they were individuals that appeared to have been either from Jackson County or the surrounding area, or recruited by those people to oppose Zion's camp. And they came into the camp and they told the members of the camp that they would see hell before morning. Uh, they were going to attack the expedition. Well, that night there was a great storm that appeared. Uh, copious amounts of rain and hail fell from the sky. There was thunder and lightning. And the river rose, uh, some people said, as much as 40 feet that night and prevented the mob from crossing the river and attacking the camp. Wilford was present on that occasion. We'll talk in just a few minutes about uh, his remembrance of what happened that day and how that impacted him. But he was there for that. After this storm occurred, there was another delegation of men that came in uh, from Ray and Clay counties. Uh, they were a little more peace, peaceful when they got into the camp, but they basically told Joseph Smith that there was a large group of about 500 men who were waiting for them in Jackson County. And if Zion's camp crossed the Missouri River into Jackson County, this mob would attack them. So Joseph, having heard this, uh, decided that he would hold a council. Now, a few days before this council was held, he had also sent uh, Orson Hyde and Parley P. Pratt to visit with Governor Daniel Dunklin in Missouri. And what Joseph was hoping would happen is he hoped that Governor Dunklin would call up the state militia, that the state militia would escort the saints back to their lands in Jackson County, and that after the state militia had disbanded, that the members of Zion's camp would remain in Jackson County to protect the saints from being driven off their lands again. That was the whole purpose of Zion's camp. That's what Joseph Smith was hoping the expedition would do. We sometimes think that the, that the purpose was for Zion's camp to march in and uh, reclaim the saints' land by themselves. But they were actually hoping that the state militia would take that role. Governor Dunklin, however, was unwilling to call out the state militia. He wouldn't muster them up, and so that uh, kind of negated a key plan, or a key part of Joseph Smith's plan to get back to the saints' land. 
So facing that, facing the knowledge of this group of individuals um, that waited for the saints to attack them, Joseph held a council. And in that council, he received section 105 in the Doctrine and Covenants, which said that those participants in Zion's camp, their sacrifice was recognized by the Lord, but it was now no longer necessary for them to redeem Zion. And so the camp began to disband. As the disbandment occurred, there was a cholera outbreak that happened. It ended up killing uh, 13 members of the camp, as well as uh, Sidney Gilbert, one of the church leaders who was living in Missouri, and Phoebe Murdoch, the six-year-old daughter of John Murdoch. So the cholera epidemic happens, and then uh, many of those participating in Zion's camp marched back to Kirtland. There were several who also remained in Missouri to help the saints there uh, for a time, and Wilford was one of those. He actually did not go back to Kirtland immediately. He stayed in Missouri uh, for a time to help the saints there. So that's just kind of a brief overview of what was going on with Zion's camp. Um, and just to kind of get us all on the same page about what was happening there. Now, Wilford, as I mentioned, experienced all of these things that the saints experienced. And uh, there are some key lessons that I think we can learn from this. But let me talk first about some of the specific things that he experienced with Zion's camp. So he was recruited by Parley P. Pratt. Now in section 103, Joseph Smith and Parley P. Pratt were assigned to go together and recruit people for Zion's camp. They left uh, towards the end of March of 1834. They went back to New York. They were together about three weeks, and then Joseph went back to Kirtland, and Parley proceeded on. So Parley went to Richland, New York, which is where Wilford and his brother Asman uh, were living at the time. Uh, Asman was married, uh, but he and Wilford had just purchased a farm in Richland. And as I mentioned before, uh, Wilford had just been baptized uh, the end of December, December 31st, 1833, by Zerah So when Parley came to recruit uh, Wilford for Zion's camp, uh, Wilford had not been a member of the church for very long, just a matter of months. And when Parley came to Richland and talked uh, to the saints there about Zion's camp, Wilford remembered that Parley said to them, that it was the will of the Lord that the young men and middle-aged, what could be spared, should go up to Zion. But Wilford and Asmund had a difficult decision to make because they had just purchased this farm together and they were a bit concerned about their financial state if they suddenly went off to Missouri um, with the saints. And so they were kind of at a crossroads. Would they follow what Parley P. Pratt was saying and obey what he said was the will of the Lord? Or would they stay in Richland and keep uh, farming the land that they had there? Well, as they talked about this, um, Asman decided that he was going to stay, that he was not going to go on the Zion's camp expedition. But Wilford had a different response. He later remembered this. He said, when Brother Parley got up and said he was weary with traveling and did not want to say much, but he would talk a few moments, 
And I love this aside that Wilford has. He says, and when he got through, it was about 12 o'clock at night. In fact, he had preached about half the night, uh, even though he said he'd talk only a few moments. Uh, Wilford says, my feelings were such when he got through that if all the gold in the world had been presented to me, I could not have been hired to stay at home. Wilford believed that this was God's will and that he had a duty to go and accompany the expedition to Zion. So he said, I used every exertion to settle my accounts, arrange my affairs, and prepare myself to join my brethren to go to Missouri. So Wilford left with Harry Brown and Warren Ingalls, and they arrived in Kirtland on the night of April 25th, 1834. They actually stayed with Joseph Smith that night, and Wilford stayed with Joseph for the next week until the expedition left. And Wilford later remembered this. He said, there for the first time I had a view of our beloved brother Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer which God hath raised up in these last days, through whom the saints receive revelations from time to time. He was very impressed with Joseph Smith. Um, his admiration for Joseph Smith increased a couple of nights later. On April 27th, uh, which was a Sunday, Joseph held another council with several church members. And in this meeting, Wilford recalled that Joseph closed it by saying the following, Brethren, we are laying the foundation of a great work, and you know it not, you comprehend it not. The work we are engaged in will grow, spread, and increase until it will fill the land. It will go from sea to sea. It will fill the Rocky Mountains. All nations will hear it. It will fill its destiny. It is the work of Almighty God, and He will maintain and defend it. When, jo when Wilford heard these words of Joseph, it thrilled him. And he said, There was more light made manifest in that meeting pertaining to the gospel and kingdom of God than I had ever received from the whole sectarian world. So he was very impressed with Joseph Smith and believed right off the bat that Joseph was a prophet of God. Well, Wilford left with the first company to depart Kirtland. Uh, the first company left on May 1st, 1834 and traveled to New Portage, Ohio, where they set up camp there. Uh, there's about 20 men and four baggage wagons in this group. One of the baggage wagons was Wilford's own wagon that he had uh, donated to the expedition. This group waited in New Portage for about four days until the rest of the group from Kirtland joined them there. And uh, then they proceeded on to Missouri. And while on the journey, Wilford partook in all the hardships and good times of Zion's camp. One of his most memorable experiences uh, was the following. This is something that he uh, related later as well. He said, we had visited many of the mounds which were flung up by the ancient inhabitants of this continent, probably by the Nephites and Lamanites. We visited one of these mounds, and several of the brethren dug into it and took from it the bones of a man. Brother Joseph had a vision respecting the person. He said he was a white Lamanite. The curse was taken from him, or at least in part. He was killed in battle with an arrow. The arrow was found among his ribs. One of his thigh bones was broken. This was done by a stone flung from a sling in battle years before his death. His name was Zelf. 
Some of the bones were brought into the camp, and the thigh bone which was broken was put into my wagon, and I carried it to Missouri. So Wilfred thought this was a very significant experience. Um, I think today we would equate this to grave robbery or desecration of sacred mounds, uh, so I'm not quite sure this experience has the same impact on us today. Um, but it had quite an impact on him, and again, uh, was something that just kind of cemented his testimony of Joseph Smith as a prophet. He was also there during the Fishing River storm. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And also, uh, although he did not suffer from cholera himself during the outbreak, he did help nurse some of those who suffered from the disease back to health. So that was an interesting uh, part of his time on science camp as well. Now, Wilford, after participating in Zion's camp, uh, made several efforts to teach the saints about the expedition. And that's really one of the great things about Wilford Woodruff, is his record keeping. Uh, he was a great keeper of records. Not only did he keep an almost daily journal from the 1830s to the end of his life, but he also served as both assistant church historian and church historian for a time. And so he wrote several accounts of the Zion's Camp expedition. First of all, he wrote an account in his journal. Now this was not something that he kept contemporaneously while he was on the expedition itself. It's more of a summary that he wrote of his experiences. He probably wrote them maybe at the end of 1834 or the first part of 1835. So not long after he had experienced these things. Um, there are some details that he inserts into his account of Zion's camp in his journal that happened later, uh, but most of it came uh, probably in that early 1835 time period. And this provides some good details about the camp, especially about the cholera out, uh, outbreak that occurred. Wilford also put together in 1882 a 124-page manuscript called The History and Travels of Zion's Camp. This was based on several sources, including his own journal, um, the manuscript history of the church at the time, and a few other accounts. And this manuscript contains a daily account of the expedition's travels, as well as copies of some pertinent correspondence um, that pertain to Zion's camp. There was also something that was published um, that was called Leaves from My Journal. And this was a series that George Q. Cannon had put together. It was called this faith-promoting series. Um, and the leaves from my journal that pertained to Wilford Woodruff was a condensed version of Wilford's autobiographical writings that he had written in the 1850s and 1860s. Um, one of the key reasons for Wilford writing this is he wanted to help the saints understand uh, examples in his life of when the Spirit spoke to him, when he followed the Spirit, um, and he also wanted to really bear testimony of the restored gospel. So his version of Zion's camp uh, comes from that lens, that he really wanted to highlight the experiences that he had on the expedition that really affected his testimony and strengthened his testimony. There are good stories about the camp in here, including uh, details about Wilford's impressions of Joseph Smith. And as I'll talk about in a few minutes, um, in this account, Wilford also makes several comparisons between the Zions Camp Expedition 
and the children of Israel uh, in the Old Testament. So that was an important part uh, of that. I also like this story uh, from the leaves from my journal, depiction of Zion's camp. Um, whenever the camp would go through towns, they would generate a lot of interest and curiosity by people uh, living in those towns who wondered how come this great group of people is marching through uh, our town, like what's, what's going on with this? And so in kind of relating about this, Wilfred said the following, Many were astonished as we passed through their towns. One lady ran to her door, pushed her spectacles to the top of her head, raised her hands and exclaimed, What under heavens has broken loose? She stood in that position the last I saw of her. So I like that story of a lady who just couldn't comprehend what was going on at the time. Wilford also talked about Zion's camp in many of his discourses uh, that he gave. Some of these appear in the Journal of Discourses, and in many of these, he talks about how Zion's camp enabled him to interact with Joseph Smith, and that such interactions convinced him that Joseph was a prophet of God. Now, in all of these things, Wilford portrayed Zion's camp as kind of a formative spiritual experience in his life. And I think that's really one of the very interesting things about Zion's camp. So often when we talk about Zion's camp today, when it comes up in a lesson in gospel doctrine or uh, in a seminary class or an institute class, we sometimes focus on, well, Zion's camp was a failure. You know, they didn't get their land back. And so why would the Lord have these people march all that way to Missouri? Um, if nothing was going to happen from it. But if you look at the experiences of people who actually participated in Zion's camp and left records of their experiences on it, the vast majority of them thought that Zion's camp was a tremendous spiritual and testimony builder in their lives. And they regarded their experience with the Zion's camp expedition as just a transformative part of their life and as key in their testimony of the gospel. And this was the way that Wilford depicted it as well. He said he came to know that God was with him, that he was with the saints, just as he had been with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. He got to see the Lord intervening on behalf of the camp. He got to see Joseph Smith and his leadership style and understand more about who the prophet was as a person. And Wilford kind of summed this up in an 1869 sermon by saying, Had I not gone up with Zion's camp, I should not have been here today. That was how important he regarded his experience with Zion's camp. <clears throat> so let's talk for a few minutes then about some of the lessons that Wilford learned from Zion's camp and that he tried to help the saints learn from his experiences. The first lesson, I think, is that we are all the house of Israel. Now, as I mentioned before, Wilford believed that Zion's camp was like the children of Israel's exodus from, the, uh, from Egypt and their journey to the promised land. He also occasionally compared Zion's camp to the marching of the Jaredites as they went forward uh, to seek a new land. Here's a few examples of this. 
When he was in New Portage, Ohio, right at the very start of the expedition, he said that after his group had made camp, he went up to the top of a hill and he looked down on the camp below. And this is what he said. He said, I knelt upon the ground and prayed. I rejoiced and praised the Lord that I had lived to see some of the tents of Israel pitch and a company gathered by the commandment of God to go up and help them to Zion. And he often equated uh, the Zion's camp expedition with the children of Israel going forth. This is seen even uh, more strongly, I think, sorry, uh, with the fishing river storm. Because Wilford saw this storm and what happened with that as akin to the Lord destroying the armies of Pharaoh in the Red Sea. This is what he said about that experience. He said, the Lord delivered Israel in the days of Moses by dividing the Red Sea, so they went over dry shot. When their enemies tried to do the same, the water closed upon them, and they were drowned. The Lord delivered Zion's camp from their enemies on the 19th of June, 1834, by piling up the waters and fishing river 40 feet in one night, so our enemies could not cross. He also sent a great hailstorm, which broke them up and sent them seeking for shelter. And so for Wilford, you know, he was not one that would say, oh, the Lord performed all these miracles in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but he doesn't perform miracles today. Instead, Wilford said, no, the Lord is performing his miracles with us just as surely as he performed his miracles with the children of Israel. And what happened at Fishing River in that storm was no less miraculous than Moses parting the Red Sea and allowing the children of Israel to go across it. In the history of Zion's camp that he wrote, the 1882 history, he also equated the camp with the Jaredites, as I mentioned before. He said, every night before retiring to rest, at the sound of the trumpet, we bowed before the Lord in the several tents and presented our thank and offerings with prayer and supplications. And at the sound of the morning trumpet, every man was again on his knees before the Lord, imploring his blessings for the day. Our journey was like the ancient Jaredites, pitching our tents by the way. And so I think Wilford, again, sought all of God's covenant people, whether they lived anciently or whether they were living during his lifetime, as the children of Israel, as the house of Israel. And again, he believed that God would not treat them any differently than he treated the children of Israel. But that God would work with them the same way that he worked with those during the Old Testament, with those in the Book of Mormon. And so this was a key lesson that he learned from Zion's camp, was that the Lord, uh, that the saints were the children of Israel, the Lord would deal with them the same. Another lesson that he learned was the importance of sacrifice. Um, the sacrifice that Wilford experienced came in several different forms. One form was his choice to even go on the Zion's Camp expedition, to sacrifice his financial well-being for the greater good of helping the saints in Missouri. And it's interesting to note that Wilford, of course, goes on to become an apostle, to become the prophet and president of the church. And his brother Asman, 
who did not go to Zion's camp, made the choice to stay, struggled with his testimony. And I'm sure there's many reasons for that. I don't want to be so simplistic to say it was just because of this decision of whether or not to go on Zion's camp. But I think that was a factor. That uh, Wilford's willingness, even as someone who had only been a member of the church for a couple of months, his willingness to still go forward and do what he thought uh, was God's, uh, what God commanded him to do, this was something that he would show continuously throughout his life. That he would always put God's uh, commandments above his own personal gain. And I think that was a formative thing for him in his life. He also experienced uh, a great lesson in sacrifice while he was on the Zion's Camp expedition. And this had to do with uh, the cholera epidemic that broke out at the time. So this is what Wilford said about this. He said, the Camp of Zion arrived at Brother Burke's in Clay County, Missouri on the 24th of June, 1834, and we pitched our tents on the premises. He told some of the brethren of my company that he had a spare room that some of us might occupy if we would clean it. Now remember, they'd just been marching for months, right? A couple of months, been sleeping outdoors. Um, I'm not a great camper, so, you know, if I had to do that, yeah, you bet. If I saw a cabin, I'm in there, and I'm, I'm claiming that thing for myself. And Wilford is, and some of the others in the camp had the same idea. He says, our company accepted the offer, and fearing some other company would get it first, left all other business and went to work cleaning out the room, and immediately spread down our blankets so as to hold a right to the room. <laughs> It was but a short time afterwards that our brethren who were attacked by cholera were brought in and laid upon our beds. None of us ever used those blankets again, for they were buried with the dead. So we gained nothing but experience by being selfish, and we lost our bedding. Um, he then went on to uh, talk about the lesson that he learned from this, and he said, I will exhort all my young friends to not cherish selfishness, but if you have any, get rid of it as soon as possible. <laughs> Whenever you are blessed with any good thing, be willing to share it with others. By cultivating these principles while you are young, you will lay a foundation to do much good through your lives, and you will be beloved and respected of the Lord and all good men. So that was kind of a tough lesson he learned about sacrifice uh, during science camp. Another lesson that he learned is that God will and does intervene in our lives. And again, this is one of the most pronounced things that you learn from those who participated in Zion's camp. Many of them strongly believed that God was present with them, that he intervened on their behalf uh, during the expedition. Um, and Wilfred thought he saw this divine protection several different times during the camp. One involved his protection from an inadvertent shot from a rifle. He said the following about this. In 1834, while traveling in Zion's camp in Missouri, a rifle was accidentally discharged, and the ball passed through three tents with about 12 men in each and lodged in a wagon axle tree while a man was standing behind it and injured no one. It passed within a few inches of my breast, and many others escaped as narrowly as myself. 
So he saw that as an example of God's protection of him. And for those of you familiar with Wilford's life, it should come as no surprise to you uh, because he often had close encounters with death uh, where he thought God had protected him um, in a moment from a severe accident. Perhaps one of the major uh, episodes where Wilford saw God's intervention was the fishing river storm that we've talked about before. This is how he uh, described fishing river in one of his accounts. He said, when the five men entered our camp, remember they came in, they told them that they were going to attack before morning. He says, when they entered our camp, there was not a cloud to be seen in the whole heavens. But as the men left the camp, there was a small black cloud that appeared in the northwest. And it began to unroll itself like a scroll. And in a few minutes, the whole heavens were covered with a pall as black as ink. This indicated a, sub, a sudden storm which soon broke upon us with wind, rain, thunder, lightning, and hail. Our beds were soon afloat and our tents blown down over our heads. We all fled into the Baptist meeting house. As the prophet Joseph came in, shaking the water from his hat and clothing, he said, Boys, there is some meaning in this. God is in the storm. We sang praises to God and lay all night on the benches under cover while our enemies were in the pelting storm. It was reported that the mob cavalry who fled into the schoolhouse tried to hold their horses by the bridles between the logs. But when the heavy hail struck them, they all broke away, skinning the fingers of those who held them. The horses fled before the storm and were not found for several days. It was reported that the captain of the company in the schoolhouse said that it was a damn strange thing that they could do nothing against the damn Mormons, but what there must be a damn hailstorm or some other damn thing to hinder them from doing anything. <laughs> and then Wilfred puts this at the end of this, but they did not feel disposed to acknowledge that God was fighting our battles. <laughs> so again, another example from Wilford of how God was with them. Uh, he intervened on their behalf. He protected them at that time. The cholera epidemic was another one where Wilford saw God's hand. But he saw it in a couple of different ways. Many of those who uh, participated in Zion's camp believed that the cholera epidemic was a judgment from God. And that God inflicted it upon them because of their unrighteousness on the expedition. <coughs> Although most of the participants in Zion's camp kind of took things in stride and didn't complain too much, there were a few who murmured throughout the trip. One of these was Sylvester Smith. Uh, Sylvester Smith had been called as a member of the Kirtland High Council a few months before Zion's camp, but throughout the journey, uh, he was a pain, and he complained about everything. Uh, he got mad at one point because Parley P. Pratt asked him to share some of his bread with him, and he refused to give Parley some of his bread. He got mad on another occasion because he came into the camp, and uh, Joseph had a dog with him, and the dog barked at him. And Sylvester said the dog insulted him, and he got quite upset about that. Uh, it got to the point where Joseph got so frustrated with Sylvester 
that he threw the camp bugle at him. Um, now, it's funny because when you read about this, uh, Brigham Young, when he's later talking about this, says, well, I don't think Joseph actually threw the bugle at Sylvester. I think he threw it on the ground in frustration and then it bounced and hit Sylvester. Um, but I think he threw it at Sylvester. <laughs> Sylvester had it coming. So anyway, because of this, uh, Joseph, according to several camp participants, prophesied on one occasion in May that there was a great scourge that the Lord was going to pour out upon Zion's camp. Now, George A. Smith later said that he thought the scourge was going to be that they were going to be attacked uh, by some of the enemies in Jackson County. But when the cholera epidemic hit, most of those in the camp interpreted that as God's scourge upon them. And so uh, Wilford um, said that he heard Joseph Smith tell the camp once cholera had broken out that if they would humble themselves before the Lord and covenant to keep his commandments and obey my counsel, the plague should be stayed from that hour and there should not be another case of the cholera among them. Um, he later kind of elaborated on this and said, I was present at the meeting of Joseph with his brethren at Lyman White's and the prophet seemed more bowed down uh, with sorrow at the loss of his brethren than I ever saw him in my life. At the same time, he was clothed with the Spirit of God and with humility. And when all the brethren covenanted with uplifted hands to heaven that they would humble themselves the, uh, before the Lord and keep his commandments and obey the counsel of the prophet, the power of God rested upon them, and we were all bathed in tears. There was not another case of cholera among the saints from that hour. So Wilford and others believed that not only was God intervening by inflicting the epidemic upon them, but he also intervened once they had humbled themselves sufficiently uh, to take the ep epidemic away from them. Finally, I think one of the great lessons that Wilford learned is that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, um, and that he learned this quite strongly. Uh, during the Zion's Camp epi er, expedition, not epidemic, cholera epidemic, Zion's Camp expedition. Uh, he often spoke about what he uh, thought about Joseph Smith and what he learned about Joseph Smith from the expedition. Um, just a few examples of this. Uh, in 1858, speaking in the Salt Lake Tabernacle, Wilford said, I have felt to rejoice exceedingly in what I saw of Brother Joseph. For in his public and private career, he carried with him the spirit of the Almighty, and he manifested a greatness of soul which I had never seen in any other man. He said in 1862, I went up to Missouri in Zion's camp. I saw the prophet every day, and I knew he was a prophet of God. In 1869, in a talk he gave in the Salt Lake Tabernacle, he said, we gained an experience that we never could have gained in any other way. We had the privilege of beholding the face of the prophet, and we had the privilege of traveling a thousand miles with him, and seeing the workings of the Spirit of God with him, and the revelations of Jesus Christ unto him, and the fulfillment of those revelations. And then finally, one other uh, detail that he mentioned about uh, Joseph and speaking specifically about his leadership style and his role as a prophet. 
He said, I was in Zion's camp with the prophet of God. I saw the dealings of God with him. I saw the power of God with him. I saw that he was a prophet. What was manifest to him by the power of God upon that mission was of great value to me and to all who received his instructions. For Wilford, just being there and associating with Joseph Smith and seeing who Joseph was as a person strengthened his testimony of Joseph as a prophet. Now, I'm not sure that Wilford learned this lesson from Zion's camp because I think this had already been ingrained upon him before that time. But one thing we can learn from Wilford's experience is the importance of keeping a record. Because we learn about these stories and about Wilford's experiences because of his record keeping. Um, because he was willing to write down what was going on in his life and what was going on in Zion's camp. If we write down accounts of the Lord's hand in our lives, it will be a blessing and strength to those that follow us as well. We need to keep records for the generations that follow so that they can see the things that we experienced. They can know who we were as people. They can understand better why we uh, obeyed the commandments, how we developed our testimony of the gospel, what the gospel meant to us in our lives. And so I think that, at least for me, is a great lesson that I learned from Wilford uh, from Zion's camp, is the importance of keeping a record. And I won't pretend that I'm the best at doing this, uh, but I do try a little bit to at least keep some kind of a record for those that follow. And I know that's been a blessing in my life as I've tried to do that. So these are just some experiences of Wilford uh, during Zion's camp. Um, Again, it was a formative experience for him. I'm grateful to have been able to share some of th these things with you. I hope it's been something that has helped your own testimony of the gospel of Joseph Smith, of the gospel's restoration. I'm grateful for, for Wilfred Woodruff. I'm grateful for the good man that he was. I learn a lot from him. I wish I could be more like him in my life uh, because he truly is one of the great figures in Latter-day Saint history. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.